controlling your mind will allow you to not only control your physiology, it will allow you to control your emotions. It will allow you to have like self-discipline to self-generate motivation, all these really important things. And this is getting really out there and really macro, but to kind of tie it all together at the end of the day, like, I think we all love to be an investor and just chill out on the beach. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's really fun and really enjoyable. And we all enjoy like the the travel aspect of it or whether or not you want to be like hitting the gym all the time and living that or like partying or whether or not you actually love building businesses and doing that whole thing. The thing is like, I've never had a proclivity to just choose one to the exception of every other one. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 24, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. I can't believe it took us this long to get one of the founding members of London On Fire on this podcast. Without Dylan, all of our origin stories would look a lot different in regards to the fire community. I mean, the timeline where Dylan and myself didn't meet is the darkest timeline, in my opinion. Dylan's definitely one of the OGs in this network. Dylan has been another one of those people who's just crushing it, but somewhat behind the scenes. And of all people with his public speaking abilities, he should be in the spotlight. Dylan and I have spent many late nights discussing what the journey to fire will look like. Two short years later, we've surpassed our goals and are setting new ones, deciding not only what our financial life should look like, but our ideal lifestyle as a whole. This episode of the On Fire podcast is brought to us by OREC 2019. OREC 2019 is the Ontario Real Estate Conference that's co-hosted by myself and Jeff Weibel. It's held here in London, Ontario, April 27th and 28th. It's a real estate conference unlike any other real estate conference. We're really focused on having real speakers who are getting real results and just sharing their real experiences with you. We've really tried to approach the real estate convention in a completely different light. If you guys want to get your ticket, you can find it on Eventbrite. This episode is also sponsored by Jeff Weibo himself. Jeff told his whole story in episode 6 where he earned over $100,000 in his first year as a real estate agent. He's a major advocate for having social media presence as made clear by his Instagram and YouTube accounts. He also puts on events at the mansion and co-hosts the Ontario Real Estate Conference. Follow along on his journey on Instagram and YouTube and if you're looking to invest in real estate, contact Jeff through any of his social media accounts. But enough chatting, let's dive into the interview. Welcome to the show, Dylan. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. It's kind of ridiculous that it's been this long. It's episode 24 and like you're literally one of the founders of London on Fire and we haven't had you on yet. (laughs) Yeah, this has been a long time coming. (laughs) So like we usually start, what has the last year looked like for you? So, oh, the last year has been such a whirlwind. Uh, I've been kind of in and out of my typical employment, different phases of that kind of at the beginning of the year. It's construction and now I'm finishing the year off back into construction. In the middle period of the year, I was kind of doing a whole bunch of things. I started taking some time off from construction to focus on wholesaling real estate, as well as to develop my real estate portfolio as well. So more of an entrepreneurial thing. And so that was amazing. I was probably, I was actually working with Matt McKeever and we were building the dream. And so, yeah, that was kind of the the nice juicy middle of the year, which was a ton of fun too. So it's just been a whirlwind, closing deals, renovating properties, negotiating on deals, setting up financing, and then like kind of having to ground everything and go back to work, which has been its own unique set of challenges too. (laughs) Just another one of those guys where it's like, how are you doing all of this at once, right? Definitely. People are always asking us, how do you do all of that? It's like, I don't know, what do you answer when people ask you that? <laughs> yeah, I, that's the thing. I think when you write everything down on paper, it can seem like a lot. And mentally, you have to juggle a lot of things. But if you're efficient with your time and you prioritize well, then really it's not too bad. There's always spaces of calm in between all the chaos. And as long as you're able to delegate around those times, then you're able to usually get most of the things done. Awesome. So I'd love to dive back into your backstory. And I think from your backstory, we'll maybe get into like how we all met. But how did you originally stumble upon the idea of financial independence or real estate investing? Definitely. So I think the initial like view on that was the classic rich dad, poor dad. I stumbled upon it at a, at a bookstore and read it and actually like blew my mind right away, but I didn't have time to read the full books. I remember talking to my parents. I'm like, Oh, do you know a house isn't really an asset? And they're like, no, shut up. Get out of here. <laughs> right. Completely shot it down. So that was the initial view. But what really kind of started, sparked my fire was After my first job, I was working a terrible construction job up in Northern Ontario, like 100-hour work weeks, doing just god-awful work. And I had a brief reprieve from that where I had to go back to the office. And during that time, I'd actually downloaded uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. 
And so that was what really kind of gave me the playbook and really opened my eyes to the fact that you can kind of have the best of both worlds. You can have financial independence, you can have money, but you can also have an amazing lifestyle, which is kind of what we a lot of times want the money for. That's so awesome. I think it seems to be the sooner people stumble upon books like that, the sooner they set their life on a new trajectory. So how old were you when you read those books? Exactly. So I wouldn't remember the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but the four-hour work week, I would have been probably 18 years old. That's amazing. When I stumbled on that one, yeah. Like I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It wasn't until I was diving into Bigger Pockets podcast and that kind of thing. I think I was like 25 or something like that. And I was like, oh my God, this is, it blew my mind. And then four-hour work week blew my mind even further. And, I, and, and and then I was just like, I need to get, I need to dive into this further. Because I was working the nine to five for a while. And yeah. I, it's like one of those things we all wish, like we all wish we discovered these concepts sooner. Exactly. Well, it's crazy now with kids going on YouTube and seeing like four-hour work week summarized in 10 minutes with cool animations. Yeah. They can get all that same benefit from literally like just stumbling upon it on, on the YouTube. So it's amazing how much that information is going to disseminate, I believe. Yeah. So talking a bit more about networking, how do you remember the story playing out in terms of like us kind of all meeting and, you know, us getting involved in networking in general? Definitely. Yeah. So actually that's a, that's a great story. I'm glad it kind of starts with me because I feel like I kind of really bring the whole story into picture. So basically it was kind of probably almost a three, three years ago Jesus. now that we kind of all got <laughs> just about probably That's crazy. three years. Yeah. Which is awesome. Three years ago, I was coming up into real estate and actually if, if I can self indulge a little bit, uh, if you guys yeah. will allow me to it that year, I had even set the intention to like that new year's, my new year's resolution was to really start networking and build up more of a network. And you know what I mean? I had read Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, one of the best books on building up that network. And that's why I was really wanted to hit. And so kind of moving forward into that year, I remember going on uh, Bigger Pockets and just creating a forum post there saying, hey, are there any other investors in London that want to meet up? I mean, I'd love to meet and learn from investors. And so a couple people had posted to that. But then eventually our good friend Matt McKeever posted on that too. <laughs> you can check him out on YouTube, YouTube slash Matt McKeever for amazing financial nice. advice. There we go. We snuck it in early. Instagram. Uh, yeah. There you go. So we ended up meeting up for coffee, coffee and tea, and just started talking, shooting the shit there. And uh, I remember I had, I had one other buddy who was into real estate, my good friend, Paul Plumstead. And like literally right after me and Matt met up, I called Paul up and I was like, yo, you got to meet this Matt guy. Like he's the real deal. Like this is awesome. And so from that, like I invited Matt to come check out. I, at the time I had just closed on my second property. And so what was funny about that too, is that that property was my first like real investor property, like kind of rough shape and all the stuff like that. And everyone was a naysayer on that property. My first one was cute, right? And like everyone's like happy for your first deal. But uh, number two, like, yeah, no one, everyone's like, what are you doing? This property's so rough and everything. I brought Matt along to come see it. And like, I'm sure with the stuff he's seen, he was like, man, this deal's awesome. Like you're, this is crazy. You're doing awesome. And so, yeah, like that kind of uh, validated a lot of things. And that was like awesome. That initial kind of spark of that network. And then through that, just we started getting more and more active into the networking. I ended up meeting Kellen very shortly after, I think coming over to uh, the LARAC, which is the London Real Estate Investors Club. Is that where we, was that where we met the first time? Yes, I believe really? so. Really? I didn't know that. I think so. And then we afterwards, we went to, and like we even grabbed food afterwards. Really? That. Yeah. I thought it was Bigger Pockets. It wasn't? I think Bigger time? Pockets was the second Really? Time, okay. Well, I have a terrible memory. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't one of your work friends that brought you out, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I thought it was Oh, too. Um, Mike McCracken. Yeah. I believe, or maybe, or, or I don't even because so, I thought the guy that had the triplex. I don't even remember, man. I have no yeah, clue. I'm pretty sure. We got to figure this out. <laughs> Kellen's, Kellen's bad with memories I'm and really direction. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> so either one, one of the networking events in London, uh, we all ended up meeting there. Because yeah, we met up, Kellen ended up coming into the group. And at the time, it was funny. Kellen had like, had no properties at the time, was like super new to everything, like just asking a ton of questions. <laughs> but then, yeah, just we all kind of got full into it. We kind of became a super cohesive group. Like hitting up, and then we were hitting up the, the Bigger Pockets networking event in London, as well as Larek. Then we shortly after started our own group, the London on Fire. Well, it's because Bigger Pockets, all we would do is talk about like financial independence yeah. and like real estate investing and like all that. And we're like, hey, we need to start this new thing. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't, I mean, all of us had a similar goal. The goal, I mean, a lot of us had a similar goal. We wanted to maybe leave our day jobs. We want to kind of build up that passive income. And at the end of the day, People, most people aren't in real estate because they want to be renovating houses or doing that or dealing with tenants or contractors. They want the passive income to, to bring in the lifestyle that they want, right? Exactly. So we all have that kind of like underrooting, like, yeah, we all, we all have the same goal. 
And real estate was just our our mechanism for doing so, right? And it's just, it's so funny. Like, I just really want to hit home the value in networking because when me and Dylan first met, that was kind of my first foray into networking. And so essentially, I'm pretty sure it was February. So like literally this February will be the three-year mark. Nice. Because I remember I was starting to think at that time, I was like, really starting to hate my job and hate the environment. And I was like, (laughs) man, I might end up quitting and not getting a new job. And I was like, if I do, I need real estate friends. Mm -hmm, And so like, that's when I stumbled on bigger pockets, posted there. Dylan had just kind of planted the flag. Mm-hmm. And I think it was literally only you and Sean Allen that yeah. I remember that like kind of responded to those messages that like I actually ended up meeting in real life, but that built upon so much. But just one thing I remember about our first meetup was we met up, had coffee, tea, whatever. I remember like you were running late. I just remember like it was my first <laughs> foray. I was like, Fuck this guy, <laughs> this is stupid, networking stupid, Matt. This was a waste of your time. You knew it was a waste. And then, like, we sat down and just clicked immediately. And it was just like, oh, like, you heard Mr. My Mustache? Yeah, like, this, that, that, that. And it was just like, boom. <laughs> you both had student rentals and stuff like yeah. that, too. Yeah, right? yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. It's funny. Like, a lot of people have, like, talked to me about that after. They're like, how do you meet all these people, right? And, like, I think the thing is, is that when you bring about that passion and your, your interest in that topic, like, you'll find your tribe. You'll find like-minded individuals. And, like... That's why when when we ended up all meeting, it just clicked like right. It away. really did right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like I remember we met up and it was like, okay, let's let's get together next month. And it was like bigger pockets and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it was like, so what have you been up to? And then it was just like, holy shit! Like people have been doing a lot every month. And yeah. it was just like, I'm not alone. I'm not the it only was just one. So who's inspiring. Like, Everyone was just like like in a fun way, like almost one up being like, we're just like, Oh, I just did this. I just did that. I just offered on this. A bit of a sense of accountability too. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the first times I really encountered that because in my day-to-day life, it was almost the opposite of accountability. People would talk down if you're doing too much because they have that Mm -hmm. sense of whatever you want to call it, whether it's jealousy or just like they're trying to drag you down a little bit, right? You're doing too much. And then you come out to groups like this and meet, meet with people like this. And you're like, Oh, like, I'm not doing enough. And it's just been that. It's been that for like three years now. It's just been like, I'm not doing enough. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. me, literally surrounding myself with these guys, like it gave me permission to just do whatever crazy thing I thought of next, right? Like whatever crazy, whatever endeavor, task, yeah. investment. Well, and- actually, I remember when you came out and you were like, I just quit my day job. And that was like one of the first yeah. times I met you. I was like, yeah. oh, interesting. Like, <laughs> tell me about that. And, and I remember at the time, I think you were a little bitter about it. And like, we've heard it, that story. It was on very this. fresh. I don't blame you for being bitter <laughs> on that. But it was like, but it was also just like, congrats, man. That's so exciting. And like, I think a lot of people in your life would just be like, what? Like, yeah. I don't understand. You've worked so hard for the CPA. Like, why are you quitting? Like, yeah. why are you putting all that behind you? All the sunken cost and everything. And like, but we all got it, right? We were all mm-hmm. like, oh my God, like you're you're like, you're doing what we want to do, yeah. right? It was such a supportive group. Yeah. It was so cool. <laughs> That's I think the huge thing too, is that like, and with every group, there's something like this, but the fact that like, we're all talking about the game of money and when we are all together in our group, like there's, you can say whatever, you can be a hundred percent honest. You don't have to cloak any of your thoughts. You don't mm-hmm. have to worry about the other person because hey, we're all grown ups here and we're all focused on bettering ourselves through learning about money. Whereas when you're speaking to your coworkers, you can't be fully on it. Like, you know, I mean, we'd like to think you can be if you have a nice environment, but there is always still that level of jealousy if you're out there hustling, doing other things and they're not. Same with like your family might be worried about you. Um, peers who may be friends that you went to school with back in the day, they might be jealous too. So like, it's so much re- more refreshing when you can be fully honest about your goals, what you're trying to accomplish and how you're going about that. And then having people that will help and actually motivate you to achieve more. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Should we talk a little bit about real estate? Or yeah, what? <laughs> it makes sense. Let's get into real estate investing. So I can remember when I met you, we walked through that property and you bought it. It was like a bank sale, I think, right? Yeah, it had been like a, there was a bidding war involved and you won. And like you were, wait, so you guys were competitors. No, 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 not this <laughs> I just, time. <laughs> I say that jokingly because people always think with networking that you're bringing up all oh. these competitors, right? And it's like, oh, they're your competitors. And it's like, we like, I remember I entered with that mindset for like 10 seconds and then realized no one not here is my all. competitor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, here's a story, here's an example, right? Like we've all had bidding wars on similar properties, but like we're never competitors, yeah. right? We always work together. Yeah. I would say it's like pick up basketball, right? Like if you're playing basketball with your friends, you know, I mean, yeah, you're competitors, like everyone's trying to be better at basketball, but yeah. like you're not like, you know what I mean? Taking out the guy's ankle or anything like that you're just you're all trying to improve yourselves it's all in good fun right exactly yeah making money's a team sport yeah (laughs) yeah like if i would if i don't get a deal i want to see somebody else in the network get the deal a hundred percent like yeah yeah Mm -hmm. 
And so I remember you walking me through that deal and you were definitely nervous because you'd bought the first property. And like you said, everyone was really supportive because it was your first one. And that's a normal thing to do at mm-hmm. that age. You like you were still doing it young, but like normal-ish. We're buying the second one is completely unnormal. And it was in rougher shape than your first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like talk us through... Because like, I remember like your parents weren't necessarily on board for this one. The first one they kind of understood. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like first one was like super cute. And actually my parents are amazing. I don't want to bad mouth yeah. anything in my environment. They were always great and they helped me out a lot with the renovations, but definitely like getting more ambitious in terms of what I wanted to invest going to the second one. Like they weren't ready for that big renovation. They were there. My dad actually was a home inspector. So even his word had some credibility to it. But once again, he was kind of vastly overcomplicating the process. And once again, he just didn't have that why. And he hadn't gone down to first principles of what it actually took. That wasn't his, I mean, that wasn't his hustle. So taking advice from somebody who's not involved in that game, you know what I mean? You're not going to get the best advice. And yeah, through that, there was definitely a, a little bit of your father, right? He's worried about your risk taking and all that. Huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge. Mom and dad's super worried about that. You know what I mean? I already had, I, I'm on the path to be an electrician at the time doing residential construction and then later got into more commercial and industrial. But yeah, so I already kind of had like a job career that's building up and still needed to complete that. So the way they're looking at it, they're like, hey, well, get that all done first. And then maybe you can go off this and like, just, just wait, just wait for it kind of thing, which is not something that like entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial minded people ever want to hear. So where do you stand right now in terms of that? Like as an employee, like we've talked about the idea of the employee versus the self-employment versus the investor. Yeah. And you know, you can work, you can work by the hour, you can make great money at your day job, or you can be self-employed, you can do jobs on the side, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or you can then be, and you're working for yourself, which is great, you're your own boss. Or you can then just become the investor where you now have passive income, your money's working for you. Like, where do you kind of lay in that at this point? Because like, you're working still, right? But you're yes. also an investor. So like, where, where do you fall? Yeah. So I really like the image. I believe it's by Dan Locke. It's uh, he calls it his wealth triangle. And so the triangle comprises of three sides. There's high income producing skills, there's high yield investment, and then there's a scalable business, right? And if you can have, if you have either one of those components, then you can do really well for yourself. If you have two, then you can do really, really well. And if you have all three, then you've kind of mastered the wealth triangle. And so I guess that's the thing. It's kind of trying to build up all three of those areas because I do at this point a little bit of each. I have my high income skill right now would be primarily my job as an electrician, which is high income per hour, especially on some of these jobs like working on a weed grow up or wind farms or things like that. Back which in is the, legal in Canada. <laughs> 100% legal in Canada. Yeah. The greenhouses and all that. And then you have like the scalable business side of things, which is like the real estate side. So when you're managing rental properties, there's scalable systems you can put behind that wholesaling, different marketing with real estate, even construction, whether you're flipping or burring, which is like the buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat that we're all familiar with. That's the business side. And then the investment, high yield investment. Well, real estate's cool because it kind of builds in the investment vehicle with the business aspect of it because you still are investing. You can invest your own money or if especially the cool thing about having the real estate network is that other people can use your money too. So whether or not even you're investing in your own deals, you can invest with other people. So right now I'm kind of just trying to build up all three. But I think the important thing is, yeah, moving that forward. I guess, are you- What's your goal? Like, is your goal to be the investor or the employee or the self-employment? Or is it to have some mixture of the three? Like, what are you kind of striving for? Definitely. I think the goal is to be a pure investor. Like at the end of the day, where I'm at now, at least looking forward to like the next level, I think- At a point, there is a day where you'd want to just be a pure investor, where you just have your money working passively for you, making a return where money's not an object and you just have an abundance of wealth and you don't really need to do much. And at the same time, you can still operate a business for self-fulfillment, to experience things. You might still have a high income skill because it's something you love doing. But at the end of the day, financially, financially speaking, the end goal would be being an investor. Yeah. Like we've talked about the idea of like, Hey, I make this much an hour and that's great. Like, what if I can make a hundred dollars an hour or like more? And it's like, yeah, that, that idea, it sounds less and less appealing, even though the dollar amount sounds very high, it's still per hour. And like, that's, Mm -hmm. I think what we're really trying to get away from, right? Yeah. That's, it's never going to be scalable and your time is just, your time is just more and more valuable, especially the older you get, you know what I mean? You're, you're never going to be as young as you were a second ago. So time becomes the more valuable asset, especially as you get 
get on. And I have time and energy, right, too. So mm. yeah, it's exactly you said, like $100 an hour, there's definitely points in the financial journey where $100 an hour is amazing. Yeah. And like, you would be stupid to, like, you know what I mean? You would, you'll skip out on holidays to take advantage of that $100 an hour. Yeah. However, there's other times like later on in the game where, you know what I mean? There's, there's tons of people. I remember hearing Richard Branson was offered like half a million dollars to speak in an event. Mm. And he turned that down. Cause once again, it's not aligned with his business. It's not aligned with where he's trying to travel, even though his like hourly for that task is absurd, ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, definitely moving further away from the hourly is I think a big part of the financial journey. Cool. So for someone that maybe wants to start their financial journey by house hacking like you did, definitely. what age did you buy at and how did you manage to buy at such a young age? Yeah. So I bought my first property. I believe I was, I was 20 years old at the time. I was just about to turn 21 because I thought it was cool, like 21 and one property, right? Wanted, like, <laughs> it's funny how we set these little things for ourselves, yeah. right? It's like, I want to quit before, I want to quit by 35 or I want to quit before if I'm in my 20s still or I want to like, we just put these things in our head and like, no one cares. No one, yeah. Only yourself it, it cares. almost is just like a, a mantra though, you tell yourself, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's something that like, it's like a nice little rhymey thing or yeah, whatever yeah. it is, right? It just, it's nice and clean in your brain understands it easily. Exactly. Yeah. It's like trying to make these smart goals, right? It's yeah. just like I, de- I can measure it. I know exactly mm-hmm. when I'm doing it. I don't necessarily know my why, yeah. but I have I have some numbers in mind. Yeah, I want money. <laughs> sounds so good, right? Yeah. So that was 21 I bought, or 20 when I bought the first properties so around 21. And yeah, basically I just been a lifetime saver. I've always kind of had part-time jobs or side jobs, you know I mean? Through high school, through college, working summers and, and whatnot. So always just building up savings. At the time too, I was very low on student loan debt because I went to college for electrical engineering technology. I did an accelerated diploma program. So it was only two years of course study, which means you're only paying two years of tuition. A lot of that is rebated through taxes. Additionally, because here in Canada, our colleges are a bit less expensive than our universities. And then additionally, with my course, there was a one-year co-op period in between. And during that time, I was actually able to get a really good job, earning a nice little salary. I think I was making like 25 bucks an hour, which like at the time was crazy, like 18 years old. And so I did actually, I was working that and I was working a construction job. So I had like two jobs for a while, that during weekends. Yeah. So that really helped. I think that's actually a big thing that I've noticed is that like, when you hear a lot of people being successful financially, like you can have your one job and do really, really well, especially if you put a lot of focus in it. If you have two jobs, that's when you really start advancing. And like, I you hear about some people when they have like the three jobs or like, I think it's <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of like masochistic, but that can really exponentially improve, you know what I mean? Your, your financial standing. It's just like identifying what is your time worth at that time. And like when you're still, when you're an 18 year old or something, it's like, yeah. You're definitely prob- most likely by the hour because you don't have money yet to work for you. And no experience. You don't too. have experience to be self-employed. So it's hard to really get people to hire you unless you can get a job. Mm-hmm. So therefore you have time and you take as much of that time and exchange that for money as possible early on, right? Yeah, definitely. And construction is great for that. Like anyone can get started construction so easily. And if you have a couple things behind your name in the construction industry, then you're already commanding a premium. And a lot of those things, like you can learn on the jobs, you're getting paid to learn. And additionally, you can pick up really quick, right? Like it's not like, you know, I mean, neuroscience where it takes you so long to learn how to be effective in that field. Like, for example, like even electrical wise within the first or second year, you're already a second term apprentice. You already have a good amount of experience under your belt and you've been paid that entire time to learn those skills. Mm-hmm. So you started building your portfolio at 20, just about 21. Do you mind sharing with the audience where your portfolio is today or where you plan to take it in the future? Yes. Currently, my portfolio, I have about seven properties and that works out roughly to about 22 units. Four of those properties are student rental properties. And then the other three properties are multifamily where I have two fourplexes and a sixplex. And so that's currently where I'm at now. My, the next kind of goal that I want to hit for real estate is I'd like to have around 10 properties. And like, once again, just because it sounds cool. <laughs> How many so of those are private? an arbitrary age for it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I basically, I want to do it within the next like year or two. I've actually kind of relaxed a little bit on the real estate goal in terms of size of portfolio, just because back. So way back, my big goal was if I could get around four properties. I figured if I could make $1,000 per property, had four, that's $1,000 per week. That's like the cash for life lottery yeah. basically, which, and $1,000 per week is nothing to scoff at. Like that's a great wage. So back when I started this journey, I was like, yeah, like that's, 
that's the point to hit, right? That's financial freedom. And I ended up hitting that really, really quickly, like within three years of investing. So after like passing, pretty much shattering that point pretty easily, I was like, okay, well now what's the next goal? So cash flow wise from my, my portfolio, it's not like I ever feel constricted. It's not like I have a why to tie that money to yet or to tie that number to yet. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just more building the skills and, and more building the, the grand vision of what I want to work for later on in the future. So that's like 10 is more arbitrary and there's not a huge deadline on that. Like they have to be good deals. Obviously, I'm not going to kill myself to get there. But, <laughs> but yeah. it's also residential mortgages in Canada. You know, you start getting you start really pushing into limits when you start reaching that number of properties. So yes, it also yeah. just kind of makes sense. Let's max out the residential mortgages kind of get to that point where, you know, we're really happy with that, like cheap debt from like major banks. And and then you can kind of adjust your strategy from there. Definitely. So yeah. when it comes to the properties you have in your portfolio right now, how many of them are private? Do you know offhand? How many of them are privately purchased versus MLS? Private deals. So I think only two of those deals were off MLS. Yeah. The so first two, like, the rest have all been private. Ever since I met Dylan, I remember he was doing a very different kind of grind than what I was doing. And I was inspired because I was like, this guy's on Kijiji, which is like Craigslist in Canada and grinding away on there. And at the time that was kind of a fairly new idea, at least to me, it was like, huh, like, I guess you could find real estate on there. It's not just the MLS, right? Mm-hmm. And you were like, I don't know, you were, you were all over the place. You were like, you're trying to, you're knocking on doors and doing yeah. all this stuff. And it's like- We actually, me and Callan went door knocking a couple of times. Oh yeah, like, yeah. This whole month we were doing it like every week, <laughs> walking around the neighborhood, knocking doors. But like, that's pretty awesome, right? Like five, five of your seven were like all purchased privately. And I mean, there's a ton of value in private deals. So you've done a lot of in terms of like door knocking, flyers, wholesaling. So like, can you talk a bit about your experience with that? And do you you, definitely, and like, also, do you see yourself doing a bit more of that in the future or do you know where you're at? Yeah. So kind of breaking into the whole wholesaling thing. So yeah, like you said, when I started real estate investing, I just wanted to find more good deals. And so I started trying to do that privately by, like you said, all these separate means of marketing. After doing that for a while, I ended up having a couple of deals kind of come across into my attention. And the thing is, you can't really act on all the deals. And sometimes the deals might not be great for you, but almost guaranteed if you have a network in place that there's going to be other people that'll be super excited to take advantage of those deals. So initially I just started kind of like tossing these deals to people and you know what I mean? Cause you're just by giving value to the network, it'll obviously increase the value of the network itself. Mm-hmm. And as that kind of increased, I started building that out more and more, learning how to actually capture value from that for myself as well by locking those deals up under contract, assigning those contracts to people or negotiating a kind of a better premium for bird dogging, which is where you more just find the lead, kind of building systems around that. So your phone must have been like ringing off the hook at the time, right? You were you were sending out how, like how many flyers, like the two, you guys were both working on it together. So like, what was that like? What was the experience like being the whole, like basically full-time wholesaling for a while, or you were actually working at the same time, weren't you? Yeah. So I've been doing like a different, like there's been times where I've been wholesaling and working, which is just like crazy. Cause yeah, your phone's gonna be blowing up. You're at on work. a ladder somewhere and there's a private seller calling you. And- oh yeah. You're, you're writing down like property information on like a two by four of wood and then putting the wood in your car. Cause then like that's all the information. <laughs> your property. notes. Yeah. Your notes just a block of wood or like there's been a few of those. So yeah, that's been an interesting one. It's been you can have a bit of control, which is nice to balance the two because, for example, when you have more time off, then you can blitz your marketing and that's when your phone's going to light up a lot more mm. versus when you're at work, maybe you're just kind of trickling it out. So you're getting like maybe a couple less calls. Mm-hmm. I liked your little, I liked your tip of just having a secondary SIM in your phone because like you had a dual SIM phone. Yes. You could take calls. Mm-hmm. You know if the call's coming from someone who found it from one of your flyers or your ads or your whatever, right? Or, and, and you know exactly who it is. You kind of separate the two. I like yes. that idea. And you have the unique voicemail, which I think is nice too. Cause it's like, it's right. not just like, Hey, this is Dylan. It's like, it's like, Hey, like you've called, like we buy houses, like you've got the right number and you can really, so they know right away, even if they do go to voicemail. Yeah. So having some of those system in place helped. I wasn't super professional when I started it out, but just through kind of sheer grinding kind of built that up. Basically then I'll kind of go into the story a little bit, mm-hmm. how it got more professional. So then about it. So that would have been just over a year ago. Then me and Matt yeah. started working together. I ended up wholesaling Matt a deal. It was actually an awesome deal. I was kind of considering doing it myself, but I reached out to Matt. I was like, Hey man, I don't know if I'm going to do this deal. I just want you to know though. Cause I think if I don't do this, like it's still something I'm sure you'd be interested in. And so me and Matt kind of worked together through the negotiation of that property. And that was like my first like big wholesale actually to Matt McKeever. So it was awesome. We got that all closed and sealed up. And then shortly after that, Matt's like, 
man, you just got to quit your job in wholesale. For <laughs> yeah. You're like, I just asked him to run the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What do like, those numbers look like? Cause like you can, you can either work at your day job and make X amount, or now you can like make five or 10,000 per wholesale. And it's like, Whoa, like exactly. I, don't, I don't need that many deals and to replace. The real thing salary. is that he's still then going to get exposed to a ton of juicy deals. Mm-hmm. Or at least that was the hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it aligns with what you're still trying to do. I was still trying to build my own portfolio. So it was kind of a win, win, win. And actually, I want to go back because even the text message. So the funniest part is the day before I quit, I was talking with Kellen like all day. Like, you know, those days at work where you're just on Facebook a little too much. I'm talking with Kellen just about we're talking about our jobs and everything like that. And so we're talking that whole day. And then that night, Matt sends me a message. He's like, man, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And I was like, dude, it's got it could be an easy offer because at this point, I'm willing to accept. Like, hey. So that was literally like the day before. And then, yeah, within like the next day, I had quit, pulled out and started wholesaling. Like we just hit the ground running yeah. basically right away. I think we locked down our first deal like within the first week. They were killer deals. We got too. out to some great success. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, you guys created a Facebook group. You got a whole mm-hmm. bunch of people to join. And it was just like you find a deal, you post it to the private Facebook group, which I mean, if you're not doing that in your city, I think that's one of the best ways to build a buyer's list for wholesaling. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The deal is king. Yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, it creates a sense of FOMO that you can't really create by just like posting it on your website or like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it may, it may be feels a little less exclusive, which could be a good thing, right? It's like, here's a deal I found. I'm exposing it to my whole network. If you want it, buy it now. Right. Mm-hmm. And you guys were fine buyers pretty quickly. Like yes. these were good deals. Yeah. So quick. I, and actually we almost looking back, we almost left some money on the table, but it was great the way we did it the first year because we had great deals. All of our buyers won out. They all profit on their deals. Like we know this for sure. Some profited like <laughs> massively. And and so yeah, it was it was that was an exciting way to do things. It was very awesome having that kind of that was I've had brief periods of unemployment or brief periods of more entrepreneurialism where I've kind of gone off and tried to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But this that was the longest one. And additionally, that was the most financially successful where we were actually making good money. We were averaging about like one or two deals per month, closed, wholesaled, everything like that. And then even additionally, during that period, I closed on I closed on two deals myself that I added to my portfolio, two awesome deals as well. So yeah. yeah. And we did a course. We did the wholesale blueprint, which is on the real estate rat pats teachable site, which is kind of a step-by-step guide. I go through a video course of like Everything, all the systems we use in wholesaling go through basically everything. So yeah, it was just an awesome experimental time, which is kind of what we're about a lot of times, yeah. the entrepreneurial taking those risks and experimenting. And it just kind of like, it also gave you the opportunity, you know, you came with me and Adam Martin to Miami. We did the Grant Cardone thing and just, mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun just getting to experiment. And like, we spent a decent amount of time together or on the phone during this period. Yeah, it was awesome. So yeah. when it comes to like you're trying to build your portfolio further, you know, you have student rentals, you have multifamily. Are you still like, what are you looking for at this point? And like, why do you want to f- structure your portfolio with what with these types of properties? Yeah. So at the end of the day, the properties I've been trying to buy have just been good, solid deals that you're buying under market value that have generous cash flow that are enough to kind of satisfy all your headaches and give you a little buffer room in case anything goes wrong. I could definitely spend a lot of time trying to drill into certain specifics I look for, but I can get kind of ADHD in Mm -hmm. terms of my analyzing. I think everyone does when you start really trying to drill down. So at the end of the day, like there's- Cash flow. Yeah, yeah, really, right? Like it's no, it's a very simple kind of thing was what it boils down to. But one kind of interesting thing is that when I started, I was so young. I was in my young 20s. I was doing the student rentals, Mm -hmm. which was- Hilarious. Many times I was like house hacking and living in those properties with the students while I was renovating it. And so that was like a lot of fun and you can really relate. And then now a lot of my multifamily, I do kind of like the fourplexes and sixplexes. There are smaller unit size, like one to two bedrooms. And so a lot of times I'm, it's like the entry level kind of of the real estate market. So I'm getting, once again, I'm 26 years old. So I'm getting a lot of people in my demographic as well, who are, you know what I mean? Have a little bit of work history now or making a decent income and they're looking to rent a place. And so it's, it's just funny. I've always been selling the product that people in my own demographic would consume. So I can really relate to a lot of my potential tenants, which is kind of interesting. Cool. Mm-hmm. You've talked about the idea of wanting to be an investor as well versus like the self-employment or the employee. So I assume that lends a lot into your lifestyle goals. So what kind of lifestyle goals does this passive income mean for you? And like, what do you want to, what is this being an investor? What does that look like to you? 
Yeah, definitely. That's a good question. That's a deep one. I know we've both struggled with this, right? Because we're at that we're, we're at that turning point in our lives, right? Where like we've generated a good amount of passive income. We're getting really close to our goal. So like, yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer for this question. So I'm mostly asking you because I want to <laughs> know what you're thinking. Like, what is this going to be? Are you going to be traveling? Are you going to be like, now you're going to dive into wholesaling? Or are you going to be- Will you become Tony Robbins? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the questions people want answers to. <laughs> we need to know. Exactly. And actually, I'm glad you brought this up. This is a really good time, I think, in my life to bring this up because I've been wrestling with that question a lot. I'm right on the precipice of really being able to like fully- walk away from my job and have full control there. And then additionally, like I said, with my portfolio number, I'm really at a spot where, you know, I mean, I've, I've exceeded a lot of my monetary goals and things are doing really well there. So, you know, I mean, if you keep just focusing on money, eventually you can get to that point where you satisfy those. So I've been asking myself that question a lot too, is, is kind of what's next or what's the end goal or what are you striving towards? And I think personally for myself, one thing I one thing I've always found myself interested in, one thing that always really fires me up is is just improvement and and peak performance and being in that state where you just feel awesome and you feel energized and you, whatever form that takes, whether it's through meditation or it's through unique awesome experiences, things like that. So, I really love going down that path. I'm a huge personal development junkie and I love a lot of these gurus, so I'm definitely kind of walking along that path in a sense. And I think recently and lately, I've really tried to distill it down to like one key concept, one thing that I think really motivates me and one area that I really want to develop. Because ultimately, I think many of us are trying to kind of walk a path of mastery. And I think that's where you get a lot of fulfillment when you can master an area and, you know, I mean, that's your thing. And I've been a, I feel like personally, I've been a generalist in many areas, which has been amazing, served me very well because you can kind of pick and choose where you benefit from. But one area that I think I really want to dedicate more of my time and focus is the ability to control your mind and kind of what that stems from is controlling your mind will allow you to not only control your physiology, it will allow you to control your emotions. It will allow you to have like self-discipline to self-generate motivation all these really important things. And this is getting really out there and really macro, but to kind of tie it all together at the end of the day, like, I think we all love to be an investor and just chill out on the beach. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's really fun and really enjoyable. And we all enjoy like the, the travel aspect of it or whether or not you want to be like hitting the gym all the time and living that or like partying or whether or not you actually love building businesses and doing that whole thing. The thing is like, I've never had a proclivity to just choose one to the exception of every other one. I think I like bits and pieces of each, but the common theme that kind of runs throughout all of them is to be able to enjoy them to get the full benefits of it and still having the logic and the control of your own faculties to know when and where to what to do which activity, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, right? Yeah. What do you think? This is going to be a very private thing that you're going to be internalizing or is this something that you want to be sharing with the world? Yeah, it's definitely been privately impactful. And this is why I'm kind of excited to share it. It's a little rough coming out. And I know mm-hmm. my philosophy hasn't been refined yet, but I think that's the biggest thing because like at the end of the day, like for example, working a business after you reach financial independence, let's say you quit your job, right? Like a job's really pretty easy. You go to work, they tell you what to do, you do it and that's mm-hmm. it, right? Most people can do it. It's pretty easy. It's pretty hard <laughs> to get fired too. I mean, there's like a lot, a lot of people I know in my life that don't work very hard and people laugh about it all the time. I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. And it's like- yeah, it's honestly pretty easy yeah. to find people who will pay you to do not very much. <laughs> exactly, right? It's crazy. It's so crazy. I mean, so, really, who you're cheating is yourself because you're just sitting there all day. Yeah. Right? And exactly. That's the thing. And you're not you're not developing. You're not putting that pressure on yourself in order to develop your mind further. And I think ultimately, kind of trying to tie this crazy jumbled thought together, I think having, like I said, that passion for personal development and developing yourself further, I think one of the ultimate means of personal development is developing the control over your mind. And so, you know what I mean? When you're at the day job, you're not going to have the motivation and the pressures with which to sharpen your mind to complete the tasks you need to complete. Now, let's say you want to take that entrepreneurial step and you want to start running your own business. Well, now you're swimming with the sharks because everyone who's out there is doing it, is doing it all only based off their soul, their inner inner motivation. Mm. And so when you're playing that game, now you've got to be that much, your mind has to be that much sharper, that much more in control. You have to be that much more awake and that much more engaged with what you're doing. And so that extends to the the workspace and continuing to hustle and to continuing to pervert or 
continuing to develop professional skills. Now, even if we translate into more like leisure time, well, now you really have the time to fully go and have leisure time. Like, let's say you do want to like party. Well, you could take like a week or two weeks, multiple weeks off and really get deep into that and really experience. If you want to travel, now you have the ability to travel, but really like tying it all into this. I guess if, if I had to tie it into anything, Mm. it's having the financial security to continually pursue personal development focused towards developing the control of one's mind. Awesome. So are you going to get on social media (laughs) (laughs) and share this message? Yes, definitely. Definitely. That's actually the next really big to do. And so, yeah. (laughs) We're just trolling Dylan because, I mean, he's on our, he's on the Facebook groups and stuff like that, but it is very much of a, like, we know what Dylan's doing in his day-to-day life, but there's not a lot of people who do. And I think, I mean, people are listening to this episode are probably going to want to see more of you. And I mean, where are they going to see that, right? Yes. Yes. Well, I'm sure if he moves into a mansion with some YouTubers, that might help. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, maybe we'll we'll see how how it goes. (laughs) Pure pressure is a hell of a thing. (laughs) So, I mean, you have the 10 property goal. Do you have a financial independence number? Do you plan on like the mini retirements thing or like the, or like the full on retirement or like trying to figure out what your lifestyle is going to be? Like, how does that financial independence look like to you? Yeah, definitely. So previously I was, like I said, the thousand dollar a week was like really my big goal and shattered that. And so right now I think the nice metric that I like to keep in my mind is around two to four million of net worth, being able to invest it in savings and whatnot. Because when you calculate that back, so even at like a 4% safe withdrawal rate, $2 million is still $80,000 a year, which Mm -hmm. is a very healthy living wage. Mm -hmm. And then once you go up to $4 million, that's $160,000 a year. And that's pretty much passive just based off your net worth. So once you get to that level, I think that's kind of past the point where money is really buying you happiness. You're never really in scarcity at that point. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to kind of continue to work towards that point to hit those numbers. Once again, though, where I'm at financially, it's still a cool metric, like the financial game. It's a great scoreboard, but I'm less I'm less excited. I, I'm still very excited because that's the game I'm loving playing right now. Mm. But yeah, those are kind of two metrics that I'll be excited to hit for sure. So it's probably going to be like, those are your metrics in the back of your mind. But at the same time, you're also going to start gearing some of your focus toward building the lifestyle and like the controlling your mind stuff, right? Like not, not necessarily one or the other, but kind of like diving into both at the same time. Yes, yes, definitely. That kind of thing, that overruling principle of controlling one's mind and whatnot, I think that ties really well into the financial thing. Because currently in my life and my journey, I have identified that the financial game is one of the most important ones to pursue right now. And it's something that I want to continue pursuing. Basically, the way I look at it, I think getting your work done first when it comes to finances is massively advantageous. Like if you think about it, mm-hmm. time is such a asset when you're an investor or when you're building up business and building up skills. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I've really been trying to focus on, on building up my, my financial capital and my expertise and things like that, my career capital, if you will. And so, yeah, that's why I'm like, controlling my mind better, like what even ties into that is there are other things I, I want to maintain in my life. There are certain standards I set for myself socially and in terms of health and fitness and wellness and things like that. And and so it's being able to still satisfy those efficiently, right? Like there's the classic guy who's really financially well off, but he's in terrible shape. You know what I mean? He's not very fit and he's just in, in terrible shape. And then the, or the financially well off guy that has terrible relationships and is, mm. isn't social at all and, and loses that aspect. So right. yeah, the like controlling your mind, I think one of the purposes of that is to be able to recognize what is the most efficient actions to take and what are the most efficient goals to pursue? Such a transferable skill. It applies to your relationships, your finances, your business. So like if you can control your mind, you can succeed in all of those aspects. Exactly. Definitely. Awesome. Love it. So let's switch gears and dive into the fire four. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> fire four. <laughs> Question number one from Paul, who Dylan actually introduced us to. And we yeah. have an episode, episode number 10 with Paul Plumstead. Yeah. Did you memorize that I looked it up. (laughs) So what are you grateful for? So I'm really grateful right now for my ambition and my awareness. And so to kind of break those down a little bit, the reason why ambition, I'd like to do the gratitude journaling every day. What am I grateful for and stuff like that? And sure, there's a lot of amazing things. I'm so grateful for my friends and my family, the community that surrounds me with. So grateful for all the benefits that happen, but really, especially financially speaking, 
I think one of the key differentiators is just really having that desire, that want, that ambition. There's so many people you talk to. That's the thing. If you're the type of person who's listening to this podcast, you're definitely more motivated and more ambitious than the average person when it comes to money. And so guaranteed, you're going to be talking to people and you're going to be potentially sharing financial tools with them and they're not going to want to hear it or they're going to make excuses. And it's like the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So just the fact that you're thirsty enough to want to seek out those things, that's amazing because that's what's led to kind of me sitting in this room with my friends hosting or talking on an awesome podcast. The second one, the awareness, I think is a really important key as well because it balances out the ambition. There's There are a lot of people with way too much ambition and not enough awareness where they're blindly chasing goals or they get caught in the same patterns. They're not aware of other people and the impacts they're making. So I think awareness really balances out your ambition and you need a little bit of both. I know Tony Robbins says that life is about the science of achievement and the art of personal fulfillment. So having those two things, those are two skills I'm very grateful for in myself and things I want to continue to cultivate. Awesome. So you got your shit together, but I want to hear about some guilty pleasures. So what kind of guilty pleasures are stuff in your life that you just can't live without? Okay. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) So yeah, this is like, I don't have too, I'm not too bad with this stuff, but I'm definitely, definitely guilty for just needlessly kind of like going into, I'm needlessly splurging my time and not using it effectively sometimes with like like YouTube and just information gathering. It's I knew some, the YouTube rabbit hole was going to come up. <laughs> yeah. Dylan and I watched some ridiculous stuff on YouTube. <laughs> just yeah. absurd bodybuilders and whatever. That's just not productive for your time. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it's so much fun though. And like the memes are always hilarious and they're so relatable. And there can be a lot of good things that come from that. There are a lot of interesting little ideas and tidbits. Sometimes well, you get down the rabbit and hole. And Dylan always knows what the best rap beef is. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I really appreciate those. So, so. the rap beef updates and all that good stuff. That's definitely my guilty pleasure. But I don't want to say something I can't live without. I just got to get better (laughs) at living with it is the answer. Awesome. So is there a frugality tip or life hack you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, definitely. So I think the most important thing when it comes to frugality and life hacking in general is you really need to prioritize efficiency. You really need to make efficiency your base. And so That can mean many different things in many different areas, but I'll relate it to finances. So one of the key things I think when talking about financial efficiency is understanding, truly understanding compound interest and diminishing returns. And so like we all are aware of compound interest and how with a bank, when you're saving money each year, the interest that you make from the previous year stacks on itself. So eventually you get to the point where your interest is just developing and snowballing on its own. However, I don't think people really understand the power of it and really like look at it enough because also too, most people are used to saving at like 3% interest rates. I know now we're in crazy territory where banks are offering 3%, but like most people aren't making a huge return. I'd heard a really interesting story that I wanted to share on this podcast and it kind of exemplifies that point. And it basically is if you have two people and one person saves 100% of his income and then another person only saves 10% of their income each year, wonder how long it takes for those two people to catch up to the same amount of savings. And the one person, think about it, only did his first year did 100%. The other person was doing 10% every year. It would take person number two 17.5 years, around 17.5 years in order to catch up to the savings of person number one. And that shows the difference of compounding, right? That that one person who did who front loaded all of his work got it all done in one year versus 17.5 years. And then the second point I brought up about diminishing returns. So this goes back to person number one. So yeah, person number one saved 100% of his income for year number one. However, that's ridiculous. No one saves 100%. Impossible, right? Yeah, that's, that's like theoretically or literally impossible unless <laughs> you're just like mooching off people and just banking <laughs> all your money. So that's impossible to do. But the thing is, is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You could still save like 60% of your income year one and then 50% of your income year two, and you'd be at the same spot. If not, actually the numbers work out that you're a little bit ahead with that, with the compounding. So the thing is, is that there is a diminishing return to wealth too. And I think a lot of people get caught up about these, like a lot of people get caught up playing that money game endlessly and they don't know when to stop. And there's diminishing returns in all areas of life too. Like with fitness, you see the guy who doesn't need to go to the gym anymore. He's won, he's won the game, but he's still in the gym seven days a week. You see people that do that with like partying and stuff like that. They can't say no. They keep doing more and more. People keep chasing the high, if you will. 
And so I think it's being very aware of, of those two aspects is really where you get efficiency from. Awesome. So, okay. This is a typical uh, question that we tend to throw at our guests, but I know you seem a little bit prepared. We've stolen this from uh, Joe Rogan podcast. I love it. Yeah. What would the hero of your own movie do in your life right now? So the hero in my movie right now would enter into his uh, classic 90s training montage with uh, music going in the background. And uh, yeah, just a little bit of that and being able to transition out of that. I think the big thing that I've wanted to try and pursue more, this actually was the lesson I really took from Grant Cardone back after seeing him in Miami, was just really being obsessed and being relentless on your own business, on your own stuff, right? And that's just there's all these times in life where you have maybe downtime and like where you maybe go down the YouTube rabbit hole and you get surfing or, you know what I mean? Where you're just not quite executing what you need to execute to move the needle forward. And I think that's really the solution to that is becoming, becoming relentless, becoming obsessed. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be in an overbearing way. Like I said, you have that awareness to kind of balance it out. But yeah, it would either be that or I'd find the NZT pill from Limitless and unlock my brain potential. (laughs) Use 100% of his brain and phase through walls. (laughs) That sounds about right. So thanks, Dylan, for being on the show. Cool. Thank Um, you so much for having me. Before we wrap up, we always like to ask our guests to ask the audience a question. So is there a question you'd like to ask of the audience? Definitely. Yeah. I would love to ask the audience. I think this is very beneficial for everyone to, to think about and understand is what is your next financial milestone? Really takes us some time to think about your next financial milestone. And then additionally, if you want to follow up in the comments or anything like that. So question one is identify what your next financial milestone is. Number two is how long will it take you to get to that milestone? And then off of that is, is there any way to accelerate that or to get there sooner or to to make that process easier? So that would be my big question for for any of the listeners to consider is to really get to that next level so that they can see a new financial horizon. Awesome. So if you're listening and you want to answer that question, jump onto the London on Fire Facebook page. We're going to be posting this episode there and Dylan can answer your question directly and you can get in touch with them. And speaking of that, where's the best place for people to follow you or get in touch with you? Definitely. So I'm pretty quick to respond for direct messaging. So Dylan McLaughlin on any of the major social medias, I would say the best would be Facebook. Feel free to hit me up on Facebook. Add me as a friend. Hit me up in the uh, the messages. And uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting with other like-minded, motivated individuals. Awesome. Thanks again, Dylan. Great. Thanks, Thanks guys. I love Dylan's perspective and knowledge. He's one of the most well-read people I know and is always dropping knowledge bombs. The idea of controlling your mind, that's a concept I really want to hear more about from him. Hopefully he starts up a YouTube channel or shares a little bit more on his Instagram. But with the noise and chaos of managing a busy life, the value of mental control can't be understated. While you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and follow us on Instagram at on fire podcast and make sure to tune into the next on fire podcast to meet more people hear their stories learn from their mistakes know what would be awesome a five-star rating that's what would be awesome and a written review i don't even care on what platform just do it thanks guys thanks for listening this is matt and kellen signing off and until the next episode remember being normal buying stuff doesn't make you happy and always remember what david goggins said I tried to do so many things to fit in, but when you look in the mirror, that's the one person you can't lie to.